0: All right, good morning. Uh, If you will join me, uh, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. I don't know where your minds are at. Um, I will confess to you some of where my mind has been uh, all morning, even a little bit yesterday. And that's why the songs are very timely for me because the songs this morning have to do with. not fearing, and the Lord reigning, and you're like, what is this tied to? If you were graced to be here last week uh, when my voice decided to take a hiatus after point two and before point three, uh, I've been a little uptight. Uh, Not sick. feel fine. Uh, But I think this little yellow stuff that is floating around in the air just wants to keep, like, settling in my voice. How many of you are battling that right now? Anybody? Would you raise your hand? So I'm not alone. Uh, so I am a little bit like nervous. Like how many minutes do I have, Lord, before this happens again? Uh, so today I was better disciplined than I was last week. I didn't sing. I was singing with you in my heart. So I stayed at the back because last week I told myself, "Don't sing." That didn't work. Can't do that, you know. Especially Chris up here. Now sing out! I'm like, oh, okay. And so today I hung out at the back a little bit, and, uh, but still was with you. Um, but God is sovereign, and so I've prayed for my voice, and you may want to do that as well. Um, but whenever he deems it's time to be done, then so be it. Uh, we'll be done at that point, and that's fine. Uh, it's not about me. It is definitely about him, always about him. Um, one thing that I do want to mention that was not mentioned in our announcements, this will be brief, uh, have you heard of David Platt? How many of you ever heard or heard David Platt speak? Uh, so this is the former uh, IMB director, International Mission Board director. Really, guys, one of the best teachers in America. Uh, so I've been to a couple of these things he calls ch- Secret Church back when he was in Alabama. Okay, I went to a couple of those. Deanna went to another one. Uh, he is now in Washington, D.C. Um, and so we have not promoted this because... Uh, we didn't want it competing uh, with our men's retreat and some other things, but a couple in our church has bought rights to Secret Church Simulcast. That's not this Friday, but the next, so the men will be up on the mountain. Those that are going to that. And, um, but Anthony and Lindsay, so if you guys would stand for a second, just so folks, not to embarrass you, uh, they've had an eventful week. They had some flooding in their apartment, but uh, I said, Is it, everything's still on go, and they said, yes, it's still on go. So they're doing this. Um, they are hosting that, and they're willing to, to use it at the student center. If several of you want to get in on that, and if it's just a couple want to get in on that, they'll do it maybe at their house. I'm not sure if that's still a go. But go to them if you're interested in that. You say, what is it? Um, all it is is a little bit of singing and a lot of teaching, okay? And you think I preach long, he's only going to teach that night about five hours. For real. And he'll talk 100 miles an hour. If you've ever heard David Platt preach, you think, he doesn't talk 100. Yeah, I thought the same thing. He does something different when he does Secret Church. You get a book like this. And so uh, you're going to want to let Anthony and Lindsay know beforehand, like, hey, I want to come to that. And I think you'll be able to get materials, right, for everybody that's coming And wherever the location, whether it be here at the Student Center or at their house, go, and it'll be a good time of fellowship. And they give little breaks along, but uh, I don't know the definite yet. It'll be in next week's bulletin. It may be like 5, 6 o'clock, and you plan on getting home about 1 a.m., to be honest with you. We love it. Time flies, uh, and and he does a great job. The topic this year is prayer and fasting. So knowing him, he will almost exhaust the topics of prayer and fasting in those uh, four or five hours of teaching. So if you'd like to be part of that, see them. Uh, Today would be great to give a heads up. All right, Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to jump right into the text. Our main text today is only five verses. It's verse 18 to 22, but I want to back up and read last week's text to get a running start at it. And then we'll read one verse after it, again, just to get the context around it. So coming off of baptism and 40 days in the wilderness and being tempted by Satan, verse number 12. Let's read that again. This is where we were last week, verse 12. Talking about Jesus. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, so Herod Antipas arrests John because John dared to preach that his marriage to Herodias was illegal. It was immoral. Stole his niece. From his brother to be his wife. Very twisted situation. John preaches against it. Herod Antipas has him arrested for it. When Jesus hears this, notice he withdrew into Galilee. So you have Judea in the south, you have Samaria in the middle. These are half Jews, half Gentiles. Judea, very hardline, traditional, hardcore, purist Jews. Then you have the half Jew, half Gentile. And then up north, you have a strip of land, 50 miles by 25, Galilee. This is where Jesus is going to go and minister. So last week, as we looked at verses 12 through 16, we focused on these two thoughts. The place of Christ's ministry and the effect of Christ's ministry. The Bible makes a big deal about where it happened. Verse 13, and leaving Nazareth. So he goes to his hometown, but he's rejected there. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, way on the northern side of the Lake of Gennesaret, also called the Sea of Galilee. It's actually fresh water. So Luke, uh, the historian, calls it the lake, but the other gospel writers refer to it as a sea, though it's not a salt water. And so Jesus left Nazareth after he was rejected and went and lived in Capernaum. That becomes the headquarters, Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So rewinding 1,400 1400 years before this, the land allotment of the Jews. This is in the section of two tribal allotments. It's way up north for their land allotment. Why? Verse 14. Here's one of the reasons this is significant. It's a fulfillment of Scripture. It's a fulfillment of a prophecy 700 years before The Bible says, Matthew says, so that, why does he go to to Capernaum of Galilee? So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Matthew constantly points our attention to Jesus' life fulfilling prophecy. And now he goes back and brings Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1 and 2. Here's the prophecy. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee, of the Gentiles, Galilee is just surrounded by Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness, let that sink in. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Jesus is the great light, predicted 700 years in advance. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow Darkness. of death, separation from God, on them a light has dawned. This is where the real ministry. Yes, Jesus ministers in Judea. His final great sacrifice is there in Jerusalem and resurrected just outside of Jerusalem. But his ministry, by and large, was up in Galilee. And then summary statement, really very broad, general. From that time, Jesus began to preach. We'll go to this in a couple of weeks, in a week after Easter. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent. That's his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now today's text. So he's in Galilee. While walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. Casting, casting. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, this is also a very general statement we'll see in a moment. But he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Hey, you boys, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, James and John, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. immediately. They left the boat and their father and followed him. And in general statement here, very broad, covers lots of time period. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Recapping quickly, verses 12 through 16. If you were here last week, this is review. If you were not, a quick overview. Verses 12 through 16. Jesus is going to base his ministry in Galilee. Why is that significant? It fulfills a 700-year-old prophecy. God knew that his son would headquarters out of Capernaum, wrote it down, Jesus fulfilled it. But it's also significant for this reason. Watch, place matters. God used circumstance to put his son in Galilee to minister, which means because he's a man, he's ministering in Galilee, and he's not ministering in other areas. Here's the fallout, and however you want to deal with that in your own mind, that's fine. I have come to my own belief, and I've learned this. There's a practical ramification. Jesus ministers in Galilee, which means it receives more spiritual light than Judea does, than Samaria does, than the regions around this other part. This 50 by 25 mile strip receives more light than Judea. Jeff, what does that mean? I'm just going to tell you. When we get to heaven, we're going to find more people of that time period from Galilee are in heaven than people from Judea. That's just the fallout. That's the reality. Why? Because God made a decision and Christ fulfilled it that his ministry would be in Galilee. So what's the effect of that? Matthew gives us a, f- a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. It has to do with light and darkness. Follow this is again, review. He paints the picture of the people in Galilee living in darkness. We broke that down in three things. These people had dark minds. They had a dark soul. And they had dark lives. This is key. This is the main one, I believe. Their darkened mind was not perceptive to things. Like everybody in here in Anderson County and around the United States, around the world. Left to ourselves, we are just unperceptive to the most important things. But worse than that, we come up with our own ideas of religion. We're blinded to truth, so we fill in the gaps, and we think, we think the way to God is by us performing. A darkened, unperceptive mind, a blind mind, leads to darkened souls that love and crave and have desires for abominable, wicked, sinful things. Put those two things together, you end up with a dark, wicked life. Jesus comes into the region, and here's the result. You should plan on it. You should say, my life fits that. If your life does not fit this, then you're not born again. Because when God breaks the light of Christ into a person's soul, three things happen. Their darkened mind becomes enlightened and perceptive to the truth of God. That the way to God is not by performance. It is only by trusting and receiving the salvation. Trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross. That's it. The enlightened mind realizes that. That results in a new soul that no longer loves sin. It now loves God, brand new person. And that results in a new godly life, not perfect, but a new godly life that glorifies God. That's the result and the effect of Christ's ministry. So today we're looking at verses 18 to 22. And I want to notice two main thoughts. This is a very, very simple message. Very simple. All I will be doing today is saying what you should get from the text if you read it three times. That's all I'm doing. No great, you know, aha moments, light bulb moments. My job today is less teaching and more just let's just put this into our lives. So we come to verse 18 to 22, and here's what we notice. Number one, Jesus calls regular people to be his disciples. This is a very simple point, but I want you to hear it. Jesus, it actually has two parts. You see the two parts? Each one is separate. Put them together, though. Jesus calls regular people. Jesus calls regular people to be his disciples. That's what this text is about today. Jesus calls regular people. Hold your spot here, if you would. Join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Flip over there. You might want to go there just for a moment. Jesus calls regular people. So as you're turning, I want to make a statement. And I want everybody to hear this. Even while you're turning, do two things at once. You do not have to be brilliant or remarkable to be a Christian and to serve the kingdom of God and make an eternal impact. You do not have to be brilliant. You do not have to be remarkable. You just don't have to. The verses preceding what we're going to read, Paul is saying, I came to Corinth, a real real Greek town, and when I did, I made up my mind, I'm not going to make the way to God fancy. It it boils down to two things. It's about the God-man and a cross. And if you'll believe what God the Father says about his son and this cross, then you can go to heaven. It's not fancy. In fact, if you have your Bible open, it won't be on the screen. Paul says, Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel not with words of eloquent wisdom lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. I'm not going to make it fancy. I'm just going to say the message of the gospel for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It sounds stupid and foolish but to us who are being saved it's the power of God. Now watch verse 26. Here's what Paul's going to tell them. Hey Corinthians, you don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to be remarkable to make a difference. In fact, Corinthians, if you need any proof or evidence of that, just look around you, verse 26. "For consider your calling, brothers. Consider your calling. Grace View. I'm not up here to insult anybody. I'm up here to put myself in this boat. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Hey, don't point. But look around. We've got a few smart people here today. I'm not one of them. We've got a few. Among worldly standards, take tests. They grade really high. I can name a few of them. I'm not at the bottom of the list. I kind of know. I remember I took some tests. I'm not at the top of the list. But you don't have to be brilliant. Hey, look around. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not, not many were of noble birth. How many Bartlett's have you heard of that are famous? One wrote a book of quotes. One guy signed the Declaration of Independence. I don't know if I'm related to him or not. Probably not. And one, I think, must have grew some pears and packaged them and sold them to people. But we're not noble. I don't come from, like, royalty. Okay? Okay? We're just not. Maybe you do. Probably not. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why does God do it this way? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Wow, that movement happened because that person was so smart, so powerful. They have so many resources. They're so magnetic. They're so dynamic. That's why that happened. God rarely uses those kind of people. He can, but rarely does he. Why? So that God gets all of the credit. Make your way back to Matthew now. So as we read this verse 18, walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, Andrew's brother, casting a net. And we know that there's John and James who are also fishermen you guys notice what kind of people God calls? These are extremely unremarkable men. These are extremely forgettable men. They're just fishermen. I want to be honest here. Let's be clear. I'm not going to put them way down here. All right? They're fishermen. This is an honest, honorable profession. This is a hard-working profession. It meets a great need. People needed to eat, and they ate a lot of fish at that time. They're right there to see that it's teeming with fish. These guys work hard. They, I'm not going to come up, stand up here and say they were very, very poor, but I'm going to say this. They were not wealthy, and they were surely not powerful. They're really nobodies, and they would be very forgettable if it hadn't have been for Christ calling them. But Christ did call them, and these four men, by the power of God, literally... Changed the world. They cha- 2,000 years later, we're talking about Peter, Andrew, James, and John. We would not have been if Christ had not called them and them following him. This is the kind of people God uses. So one of the things we learn is God is glorified by using normal, regular people, hear me, just like you, to do amazing things in his power. Go with me if you would. Hold your spot. John chapter 1. Uh, can I get this turned up just a little bit? Uh, I don't know if that's possible. John chapter 1. That way I'm, I'm not feeling like I've got to push. Uh, John chapter 1. I Again, I alluded to this last week. We will not always do this. I'm going to read two passages that overlap or lead to or complement what we've read in Matthew because Matthew chapter 4, like he did earlier in the chapter, Matthew skips some things. All right? Matthew skips some things uh, so that he can just kind of be concise. He's going to get onto some other things. He's getting ready to go into this long teaching of Christ. So he gives a very compact version, but to be able to make a point in a moment, I feel like we need to go back very quickly. And read two passages that complement Matthew chapter 4. Look at verse number 32 of John 1. Chapter 32. This is the day after John the Baptist baptized Jesus. Remember, Jesus comes to be baptized. John refuses. Jesus insists. And sure enough, it was of God that this happened. So John chapter 1. Look at verse 32. We're going to read quickly. And John, this is not the writer of this gospel... The writer of this gospel is one of the fishermen that was called. This is John the Baptist. So here's John writing about the other John. Verse 32. And John bore witness. Quote, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him, Jesus. John says, I myself did not know him, But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. In other words, we went through this earlier. I think John would say, I have my suspicions who it is, but I wasn't certain who it is. God the Father told me to do this baptizing, and he told me there's going to be one that after you baptize him, the Spirit will descend and it will remain on him, and that's the one that's going to baptize with the Holy Ghost. And then now John finishes his testimony. I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, so now we're two days after baptism. The next day, again, John was standing, watch this, with two of his disciples. These are John's disciples. There's a reason I'm reading this. And he, so there's three of them, he, John, looked at Jesus as he walked by. Jesus walks by, John has two of his disciples, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? Translation, may I help you? Can I help you, fellas? I notice you're following me around. Jesus turned, what are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you'll see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour, 4 p.m. in their time, the way of keeping it, 4 p.m. You guys stay with me tonight. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Andrew. So now we know Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon. So that tells me that down at this baptism, here's these boys from Galilee that are down on the Jordan River east of Judea. So they're down south for them. And verse 40 again, one of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found him. We found him. We found the Christ. We found the Messiah, which means the Christ. So he brought him to Jesus. And as he's getting ready, I'm picturing this. Andrew's going to come up. My Lord, you remember? Yes, you were just with me. This is my, and before he can even introduce Peter, Jesus interrupts. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, in essence, Oh, I know who he is. You or Simon, the son of John? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. With that in mind, keep that text in mind. Go back. One more we're going to look at. Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 plays directly in with what we're looking at in Matthew 4. And this is a longer version. I realize we're we're reading most of our text at the front of the message this morning. Luke chapter 5. So where Matthew gave a very condensed kind of overview Jesus, here's where he's at, here's who he sees, here's what he says to them, here's what they do. Well, here's a longer version. Luke chapter five, verse number one. Chapter five, verse one. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, same Sea of Galilee, that's the name Luke gives it. So there he is, he's standing by that. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets getting into one of the boats which was simon's he asked him to put out a little from the land and he sat down and taught the people from the boat Did you catch that this your boat let's go out a little bit a little more right there everybody on shore you gather around thinking why in the world would we do that of course, there's a natural slope down to the water, but if you've ever been fishing out on Lake Hartwell, you know that you can be 300 yards away from someone, and when someone brings their boat up 200, 250, 300 yards away, they try to lower it down so that the ripples don't ruin your fishing, and you almost have to do the courtesy. <laughs> How's it going? Pretty good. Caught anything? Oh, we got a couple. They're talking this loud, 300 yards away. You're like, that doesn't. Work. Oh, yes, it does. You don't need it. Hey! You don't need to do that. You're just Something about the water is just projecting this sound. Peter, is this your boat? Let's take it out. I've got to talk to these people. So verse number six. I'm sorry, verse five. No, back up to four. And when he had finished speaking, it gets really weird. He says to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now let's go fishing. Well, Simon sort of objects, and he answered, Master, <laughs> we toiled all night. We just did this. I realize that, you know, you weren't with us, and you just finished your message. You're ready to go fishing, but we did this all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. Okay, we'll obey. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Verse seven, I really, I pictured this this morning. They signal to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. Really picture that. So this is crazy. <laughs> and it's starting to you know, bog down the boat. So much so that Peter looks over at James and John like, hey, is that Pete? Yeah. It looks like he's, Yes. So here they come. Verse 8. Back to verse 7. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come to them and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished. These guys fish all the time. But he was astonished. They were all astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now the reason I read that, this is going to come into play. We did most all of our reading there at the beginning. I want you to notice the highlights. These four guys, it appears. Yes, Andrew is mentioned, but Peter, Peter's down there. And James and John are associated with this. These four guys, this is key. They are first disciples of John the Baptist. Here's what that means. They had the utmost respect for John the Baptist. They believed John the Baptist. John the Baptist tells his disciples, Do you see him right there? That is the Lamb of God. We've been bringing our lambs to the temple for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. That's the Lamb of God. I don't know that anybody there understood what that means. By the way, this is the Son of God. We saw that in John chapter 1. This is the Lamb of God. That's the Son of God. No, oh, by the way, he is the Christ, the Messiah. These boys believe John. John. and then they follow Christ but not for long because Christ is going to go out into the wilderness and we know that he goes to a wedding and they're probably at that wedding in Canaan but then Christ goes after that and he goes down in Jerusalem I don't know he's with them with Nicodemus and back with the Samaritan woman or what all I know is eventually they all end up back in Galilee these boys have gone back to their fishing they know who Jesus is And then all of a sudden, Christ comes. He needs to borrow the boat to speak to a group of people. After that, he says, let's go out here. Well, we really don't need to. We didn't have much luck. They're just not out there today. They must be in another part. No, trust me. Go back out. They bring in more fish than they ever have. Call their partners over. Catch this. Business is better than it's ever been. I wonder if in their mind they're thinking, good things happen when we obey this person. This made no sense. We were just here. We got our nets all clean and mended. But good things happen when we obey him. Business is booming. We're going to make a lot of money. Yeah, leave it all behind. You're with me. And what do they do? Immediately, they follow Christ. No questions asked. So that's the backdrop. Jesus, hear me, calls regular people to be his disciples. So what does that mean? And here's where I'll reiterate again. This is not theological. This is very, very practical. This is a state, the obvious kind of message. And so here's what I've got for you this morning. Here's the main crux of this first point. What did Jesus call them to do? If you were standing here this morning, what do you think Jesus is calling these four boys, probably ranging from 18, 19, 20 years old, maybe up to 30, What is he calling them to do? And I think in in my understanding of Scripture, it's boiling down to three main things, and each one kind of spills over from the other. Write this down. Number one, Christ is very simply calling them, here it is, to fully surrender their life to him. You say, Jeff, please tell me you got more than that. This is what he's calling for. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. It starts with following me. Watch, guys, guys. I know you get one shot at life. You get one chance. I understand. I know this. You have one go around. You don't want to waste it. Here's what I want you to do. Your life, surrender it. Give it to me. I want it. This is my life. This is my one. Give it to me. Put your life in my hands. Number two, I want you to spend your life. You give it to me and I want you to spend your life learning from me as I teach you boys just take it all in but don't just learn from me learn of me when you see me doing things when you see me talking to other people you constantly be taking it in your job learn from me and learn of me that's what surrender your life follow me watch everything listen to everything take it all in learn of me learn from me number three it all leads and one thing leads to the next now here it is you go everywhere I tell you to go, and you're going to do and say everything I tell you to do and say. Are we clear? I want your whole life. I want you to be learning of me. I want you to go everywhere and do everything that I say do. And now you're thinking, Jeff seems excited again. But we already know these points. Please tell us you got a little more. Uh, I don't. I do have a question. As we leave those up, everybody got them written? As we leave them up, are you doing those things? That's my question. Told you, this is not, look at it. Look at the screen. Fully surrender your life. Have you fully surrendered your life? Are you spending your life learning from him and learning of him? Can you in your heart of hearts say, I have been spending my life from the time I've been saved going everywhere he says go and I've been doing everything he says do. Easy to write. Easy to check out and say, that's too simple. We need something fancier on Sunday morning. Here's what we really have to do today. Am I doing those things? These boys, they did. They did. And that's where I'm reading this the other day and I'm asking myself. Why does anyone forsake and leave their one shot at life just leave their old life behind to follow anybody why would anybody do this I think it's awesome you may read this and say honestly now that we know who Jesus is I get it but in their shoes at that time that's pretty stupid a lot of people would say that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard this man comes up uses your boat tells you where to get some fish kind of works that time Next thing you know, he's telling you to leave your whole life and just give your life to him. Spend your life learning about him. Go everywhere he says go. Do everything he says do. That's the dumbest. I think it's awesome. But I have to ask myself, why did they do this? I'm going to offer two reasons. Number one, Jesus is authoritative. So Jesus is authoritative. We always have this debate. Is it the sovereignty of God or is it the responsibility of man? I think both are in this. Yes, Jesus is authoritative. He calls them. There's something powerful in his call. It's effectual in their life, and they follow the Lord. Yes, he's authoritative, but I'm going to bring this in as well. They also, you say, Jeff, why do you think they did it? Why do you think they gave up their life? I'm going to tell you, they were convinced. This is why we read the John 1 passage. These boys believed John, and when John said, Hey, boys, guys, that's the Lamb of God. That's the Son of God. That is the Christ. When they hear that, here's all they know. He has never called for our whole life up to this point, but now that he has, no-brainer, we're in immediately. That's the only way they can do it. These guys are convinced of everything that John had told them. And that's why they go, no questions asked. So hear, hear me for a moment. I'm not going to have you raise your hand. Some of here today are not Christians. There may be somebody you know you're not a Christian. There may be somebody you think you're a Christian, but you're not. But if you are a Christian, hear me, you know, you know, like they did, you know Jesus is the only Savior. You know that. You say, well, what if a Christian doesn't? You're not a Christian if you think Jesus is one of the ways to heaven. All true Christians know Jesus is the only way to heaven. You also know that Jesus is the Lord. Watch this. He's the Lord. You know this. All Christians know that. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. This is not a get out of hell free card that we take. Please save me from my sins so that I can keep living my own life, my same old life. No. I've called upon the name of the Lord. I know you're the only Savior. I know you're the Lord. So here's my question. Just like them, as a Christian who knows this, if you felt Christ gave the same call on your life, would you follow him? Would you do what they did? Wouldn't you? If you think about it, there's eternal pain and suffering, and there's eternal joy, bliss, and glory. You're trusting, Christian, you've already trusted your whole eternity to Christ for this. If you already believe Him, trusting Him for that, then in this life can you not trust Him for everything? He's worth giving everything up. Matthew, as we go forward in the book, is going to give us other reasons why we should follow Christ. Here, this is enough. He's the Lord. His Lordship is enough. He calls for the life. Give it to Him. So again, what does it mean? I propose to you very simply, watch, this is so simple, stay with me. To follow Christ means go everywhere that He says go. And you may be sitting here this morning saying, Jeff, if I live back then, and a physical Jesus called me and he started walking that way, then I'll go with him. And if Christ was on earth today and he said, go to Topeka, Kansas, then I go to Topeka, Kansas. And if he says, go to Australia, I'll go to Australia, if he were on earth today and I could see him. so But he's not on earth and I can't see him. So here's my question. Is the same spirit in you that if I could see him, oh, I would obey just like they did? If you can honestly say, I think I would. He may not be here physically. Do not sell this short, make light of it, and, and shrink it down. He is here. He is here in the presence. It is His Holy Spirit. He is able to communicate people to people. He uses His Word, and He uses a prompting to those who are in the Word once you learn what the Holy Spirit sounds like. If you can honestly say, "I, if I could see Him, I would follow, then all I'm asking you this morning is let that same Spirit carry over that when His Holy Spirit leads and guides, you will go. I was saved at age nine. Changed my life. Changed my eternity. Greatest day of my life. But three years later, something else happened. That was the second most important year of my life. Three or four things happened. You've heard me say them before. One, I learned how to really pray at 12 years old. I got assurance of my salvation. Number three, I surrendered my life to the Lord 12 years old. Really surrendered. So what did you mean? Like, where did you go? What would you do? I didn't leave boats or nets because I didn't have one. I didn't leave family. You're like, okay, then what changed? Where did you go? I went to eighth grade and then ninth and 10th, 11th, and 12th. And then I went to Bible college, and my Bible college was a nighttime school. What I want you to understand is that year, so I'm saved at nine and at 12, I learn how to pray. I get assurance of my salvation. I surrender my life. Yes, at 12 years old, I knew, can't even explain how, I knew I'm supposed to speak and preach and teach. And I want to tell you, that's been a terrifying thing in my life because I'm such an introvert, and one of my fears is public speaking. But that call on my life changed the whole direction of the rest of my life. Now, my story is a little unique. Again, 12 years old to about the time I'm 25, 26, I do all kinds of things. I do construction for my dad. I go to Bible college. We work in the day. We go to school at night. I do more construction. Third, fourth year, I lay carpet with one of my classmates. I graduate, and you're like, and then you went off pastoring or evangelism, right? No, I went into past control from the time I'm 22 to the time I'm 25. Now, during that, I'm already starting to get involved in a church with my pastor assisting whatever way, maybe leading singing, teaching a Sunday school over here, and eventually teaching an auditorium class, which was really just a men's class. So we're doing that, and preaching when I can, and preaching back home. And, well, I thought she was called to preach. you already been to Bible college. You're supposed to get out there. My story is a little unique, okay? 1995, the Lord opens the door for me to teach in the Christian school. I start teaching, okay? Very low-ranking. Okay, scary again, living by faith, assisting some in this church, later on assisting in this church, teaching another Sunday school. Some of the folks are even here today. Life just keeps flowing. 21 years in the Christian school, total of 21 years assisting. Again, teach all along. In the summertime, what are you doing? Back in construction, back in pest control, back in whatever, however the Lord leads. Here's my thing. That decision back in, in, in when I was 12 years old affected the rest of my life in this way. Whatever I'm going to do, wherever my journey takes me, it will be for the Lord. I'm not allowed to do certain things. I can only do things that I can do for the Lord. But here's the key, and I want you to take this note. The fundamentals of discipleship never changed. You said, I thought you were called to preach. Why did it take you so long to get into a church? That was God's journey for me. That was God's journey. But here's the fundamentals that never changed. I stayed surrendered to the Lord. Again, not perfectly. So please don't hear this. Jeff is basically saying he's just like Peter, James, John, and Andrew. No, he's not. I messed up a lot. But in the whole, I can honestly look back and say if the Lord had led there or there or there, I would have gone. There was a couple of times it was very scary. And we did it. And it didn't make sense. And we did it. But the fundamentals, here it is again. Stay surrendered to the Lord while learning of him in his word and in prayer. And I'm gonna propose to you, those fundamentals never change, but they will change you. The fundamentals never change, they change us. These four guys left everything, started following Christ. They were unremarkable, very forgettable, but by three years with being with Christ, it changed everything about them. So just before I say what the second thought is this morning, I want to be clear. I promise you, if I'm lying when we get to heaven, if I lied this morning, you come up, you have my permission, you have to get God's permission, you have my permission. If I'm about to lie to you and what I'm going to say, you come up and just pop me in the mouth with your fist, okay? Say, Jeff, what are you going to say? Here's what I can promise you on the authority of the word of God. No person who has ever surrendered their life to Christ in this life, when they get to eternity, none of them will be sorry or regretful that they gave their life to Christ. I can equally promise you this. Those who are saved and Christian who end up getting to heaven that did not surrender their life to the Lord will have regrets. I promise you both of those are true. Second thought. Not only does Christ call regular people to be His disciples, But Christ, just a little nuance, trains his disciples to be his partners. Let's talk about that for a moment. Say, Jeff, these are like the simplest points you've had like in years. I know, we're going to go where the text takes us. It's all we can do. We're not going to fabricate. So Jesus calls regular people to be his disciples, and then he he trains his disciples that they're learning of him, staying surrendered, Learning from him. In their day, it was watching and listening to Christ. In our day, it's reading God's word and talking to him in prayer. He's a real person. He will talk back if you'll learn to be quiet some. Jesus trains his disciples to be his partners. All right. We get a quick drink of water. We'll go into our second point. Pause for a commercial break. All right. All right. Now, right about now is where there's 20% of you have an underlying question. 80% of you, you're not thought about it yet. 20% of you out there, you've already thought of this. Jeff, there's an underlying question that's just kind of hovering. We need to address it. I agree. Here's the question. Is this text, are these five verses merely a commentary about four guys who are going to be called to be Jesus' disciples who will eventually be the apostles so that they're sent out, so that what they're so trained, so filled with His Spirit, that what they say is as if it's the same authority as if Christ had said it. Is it just a commentary about their life, or is there something in this text that would apply to all of us? That's the underlying, like, hey, you're going to address that. So here it is. Is this a triangle? God talking to them and we're just kind of over here reading and we're just kind of watching this play out and boy, that's a nice little story about those guys gave their life to Christ. Is that all that's happening or is there more? Do I abuse the passage if I as a preacher in 2019 say I'm gonna take some of those things and apply it to my congregation today. Am I twisting, perverting, abusing the passage? Am I jumping the gun, reading too much? Or is that the proper thing to do? Here's the reason I asked that. I want you to really dial in now. Here we go. Some people's version of the will of God, they think here's where it stops. Here's God's will. I get, check yourself, I get saved. I'm to become a worshiper of the Lord. No, I'm supposed to do that. I'm supposed to grow in my holiness. The Bible calls it sanctification. I become a worshiper. Hey, saved. I'm a worshiper. Grow in my holiness I need to become a faithful spouse. I need to be a good parent, good mom, good dad, good brother, good sister, good son, good daughter. I need to be a good neighbor. I need to be a good employee, a good employer. And I know that I need to be faithful to be with God's people. And I need to support the work of the Lord financially. I think that covers it. Can I tell you, if all Christians would do that, that would change the world. But I'm glad that not all Christians have that mentality and stop short at that because if all Christians only go that far, there will be no Christianity. Had these guys and the generation after them stopped at what I just, You said, Jeff, I missed it. That sounds like a really great list. If the generation following the apostles had done that and adopted that as their mindset and their view of God's will, Christianity would have died 1800 years ago. Here's what would have happened the apostles would have gone out and become fishers of men, and they would have won people to Christ and taught those people become worshipers, grow in your holiness, be good parents, fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, children, parents. I've already covered that. Give your money, grow in your holiness. All that stuff. Be faithful to a symbol and then they would have died and Christianity would have been swept off the scene. Thankfully, that's not everybody. So my question is, is this just for them or is this something that applies to us as well? I'm going to take the latter and I have good Bible ground to stand upon. If you want to write this down, I believe this with all my heart. At some point, every, here's a key word, obedient follower of Christ At some point, you may not hear it. Maybe you're here today and and you're like, you just described my life a while ago. At some point, you keep staying surrendered. You keep learning. You keep being a disciple. At some point, a faithful, obedient follower of Christ will hear a call in their life to be more than holy, more than a worshiper, more than a assembler, more than a supporter. What'll be more? What's more? They're going to be reproductive. They're supposed to be evangelistic. They're supposed to be, they hear a call. It's to them. More than holy. I am to reproduce. I am to be a fruitful person. I am to be a soul winner. Has different ways of being described in the New Testament. I jotted down a few. It's reaping the harvest that is white. It's ready. You're about to lose this harvest, man. You need to get out there and harvest and reap the grain. The grain represents souls. Some people hear it this way, I have a chance, in fact, I have a calling to be a minister of reconciliation. Here's mankind fighting with God, they're losing. I'm to jump between this and reconcile them and bring them back to peace with God. Others, you hear it this way, I'm a citizen of heaven that's living on earth and I'm actually called to be an ambassador to conduct business on earth in Anderson, South Carolina on behalf of heaven. I am to call people to not be just citizens of the United States, but citizens of heaven. I have that authority. You have more than that authority. You have that call on your life. Have you heard it as to you? In this passage, in verse 19, Jesus words it as fishers of men. Why fishers? I'll tell you why. I think because he's talking to fishermen. Hey, what do you boys do? We're fishermen. All right, let's talk about that. You're good. You're successful fishermen. You're going to be soul winners. You're going to fish for men. Why does Jesus use that analogy? I'm going to give you five descriptions of a good, successful fisherman. Now, we think of casting like this, but it may be casting like that. Okay? Successful fishermen have certain characteristics and traits about them. Write these five down. Number one, here's what I have found. By the way, I'm not a good fisherman. I stink. I like to go. I'm no good. I am some of these things. I'm not the fifth one. That's my problem. Okay, here we go. Successful fishermen are what? They're busy. They're busy. This is hard work. Number two, they're patient. You don't always catch fish, and that's why some of you, some of you right now thinking, and that's why I don't go fishing. I threw it out there, I let it sit like 30 seconds. We didn't catch anything. They're just not biting today. Gotta to be patient. Successful fishermen are relentless. They keep at it. That really kind of combines those three thoughts all together. Maybe not in our bank fishing or our creek fishing or our lake fishing around here, deep sea perhaps, but in their day, you would have to be extremely courageous. I'm thinking of the Maguires, their son uh, fishes uh, off the coast and out in the seas around Alaska. I'm not saying this to scare them. They already know this. Uh, that's not for the faint of heart. You've got to have some courage to go out there. The Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level, and the air atmosphere and the storms would kick up. You better have some courage if you're going to be a fisherman in that day. And then ultimately, number five, successful fishermen are skilled. They're skilled. Jesus says, you're good. You guys are good at that. I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're going to need all the same qualities. What is a successful, effective soul winner? They're busy. They stay at it. They're very busy. They're very patient. They understand not everybody gets saved. In fact, most of the time people don't get saved. Rarely does anyone visit Graceview. and we present the gospel, on the very first time they hear it, I'm going to do that. I'm going to change my whole life. I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm going to stop earning my way to heaven. It usually takes a while for that to sink in. You have to be relentless and patient and busy. You have to be courageous. I thought of this, I'm telling you, I'm 49, I've been a Christian since I was 12, been talking to people about Christ since then. Never like I should, and here's the reason why. We can talk about weather, politics, and sports just like that, no problem. Free, but you bring up, not God, you bring up Jesus, and all of a sudden you're now separating the men from the boys. That is hard to do. That is so hard. You have these invite cards there. And you're told this week, Easter's big. There are going to be people that will go to church next week. They don't go all year long. We'd love them to come here so they can hear the gospel, hear what Christ did. You say, that's, I'd be glad to invite them to my kids' ball game. But to give them that card and say, come to my church, that's so hard. You're going to have to have some courage. And you're going to need to be skillful. Effective soul winners are skillful. I'm thinking of a man named Jeff Musgrave. I had lunch with him about a month and a half ago. This guy, has, he trains us. He trained me how to do personal evangelism. And you know what he's talking about? He's talking about new things. He's constantly trying to, to tweak and improve and get better at. Here's my question. Do you know how to tell someone how to go to heaven? If you're like, I literally don't know. I'm afraid. I don't want, what, I don't want their eternity riding on my words. So I'll just be quiet. Please do not die and go to heaven with that mentality. Learn how to share your faith. Learn how to be a soul winner. Learn how to be a fisher of men. Be relentless. Be courageous. Be busy. Be patient. Hey, this may be for you. Stop that mentality where you got like one fish in mind. I got my one. Trying to really, trying to win them. Oh, my whole life is invested if I can win them. Maybe you will, maybe you want. Don't, maybe you will not. Want, boy. Don't spend your whole life trying to catch one. Be busy, and along the way, maybe the Lord will give you them. I hear that sometimes. It's my kid, and I'm just trying to just win my child. Well, praise the Lord. That's obvious. That's a no-brainer. That should be number one on your list, but are you telling other people around you? Now, this is the section of the message, Where I preface, I love you. I do. I love you guys. This is also where I preface where I don't have anyone in mind. I'm not going to be that mean. I'm going to be just straight shooting for a moment. Third thing. I want to be really clear. This text And it's, I know that I'm not breaking down line by line. This is more of a dynamic of these five verses. I get that. There's these guys. They're fishing. Jesus sees them. Jesus calls them. They leave immediately. And he says, you're going to be disciples, followers, and you're going to become fishers of men. And they leave. And we find out that they do exactly that. But I want to be really clear on this point. This passage is about so much more than church. I need to preface that. This is about a lot more than three hours on Sunday. This is about a lot more than two hours on a Wednesday. This is much broader than church. But I believe if a person has truly surrendered their life to the Lord, it'll show up in church. It's about more than church. I saw a very impactful movie the other night that I hope makes a huge dent in the abortion industry. Very powerful. There's some folks out there doing some creative things that are not directly connected to church. They've surrendered their life to the Lord. And that may describe some of you out here, and we don't know what you're doing. God does. Praise the Lord. We don't need to know everything that you're doing. I hope we're doing many things that no one else knows about, just following the Lord's leading. But I believe if our life is really given to the Lord, it'll show up in church. Jeff, what's your point? We have the highest percentage of volunteers of any church I've ever been in. By a lot. So thank you. Got the highest percentage. You're probably sitting beside someone who does some things around here. Some folks do four and five things around here. This passage is about more than church. Keep emphasizing that. But here at church, I literally did not know this was in this week's bulletin down on the inside lower right as an example. But here's what I've learned. You've got to watch. I, 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 I worded this wrong as I typed it out and had to go back and rephrase it in my mind because I couldn't get it straight. Watch this. We have fewer ministry needs than we have regular attenders. By regular attenders, I mean in the course of a month, the same people. If everybody came the same week, that'd be awesome. So we have, watch, regular attenders, and then we have Ministry needs. We have fewer ministry needs. These are done. We need these done. These are being fulfilled. We need these. I guess we're going to have to get these to do these. We have fewer ministry needs than we have regular tenders. I'm admitted, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I can figure out if that's the case, that tells me some are not serving. Some aren't serving. Why? Now, I want to be clear, real clear. Stay with me. This is not just grace for you. This is every good church. There is a percentage of people who attend church regularly. And they have, they, regularly. And they have a definite love of God. It's definite. It's, it's undeniable. You're like, how do you know they have a love of God? Write these three things down. This is going to describe these type of People. They really desire to worship with God's people. I mean, in their heart, it's not fake and phony. They kind of look forward to it. They love to meet with God's people and worship with God's people. Here's another one. They, this is not like pulling teeth. They faithfully give of their income as a gift. It really is in their heart. Lord, I just thank you for everything you've given to me, and I want to give back a portion to you. And, Lord, my whole, all of our income is yours. They really love faithfully giving to the work of the Lord. And it doesn't stop there. Number three, they genuinely have a real interest, a strong desire for the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. They don't endure the teaching and preaching. They actually look forward to it. They like this. You follow me? So here's a person. They have a definite love of the Lord. They love to worship. They love to give. And they love to hear the Word of God. All I want to lovingly stress to you is please don't associate that list alone as meaning your life is surrendered to the Lord. If that is the only thing, those three things, you say, I love to worship with God's people, I really like to give, I'm a faithful giver, and I love the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. That is awesome, you're ahead of most people. But don't play the mind game and fool yourself into saying, I have have a surrendered life to Christ. If you cannot look at very specific ways that God is using your life to impact people for eternity and to bring them to Christ. So I'm asking you right now can you, and again, this is bigger than church, it's bigger than church. How are you being used? You say, well, I, I, I work a job and I give a tithe. How are you being used? I like to worship and I love Bible teaching. How are you being used? So I'm thinking of this the other day. I read a little stat, and I'll give it to you right quick. I think it was John MacArthur who had written this. So it's probably a few years old, but it's probably still accurate. It's very sad. The research estimates that 95% of all Christians have never led another person to Christ. 95% of all Christians... Never led another person to Christ. Do you all know what that means? Nineteen out of 20. Could you imagine? One out of 20, five out of a hundred. Let's just take counting those that are down the hall and the kids. Let's just pretend, What if at Graceview only 10 people are here this morning who've ever won someone, led someone to Christ? Maybe they got the first one, or maybe the tenth one, or maybe they've told 50 people, and one of those 50 actually put their faith and trust in Christ because this person talked to them. One out of 20. Could you imagine? Now, by the way, I am quite confident that way more than 10 people here today have led people to Christ. Are you one of them? It'll never happen unless you learn to open your mouth. I'm shy. Open your mouth. God didn't call us to be monuments. He called us to be witnesses. But I'm going to live a holy life, and that'll surely do it. No, it will not. People will not go to heaven by working beside a guy who lives a holy life. You have to open your mouth. I don't know what to say. Learn what to say. You can learn. Listen to teaching and preaching and read your Bible with an intent. I am going to start learning. Little things that Jeff says or closes or points out, I'm going to start writing them down. Or I'm just going to learn the exchange that he, Indiana, talks so much about. Give me that material. Give me that. What's that a red book? I'm going to take I'm going to learn how to do that. I'm not going to be 95%. I'm going to be in the 5%. Are you satisfied? Is this just for four guys who are future apostles or does this apply to all of us? Jeff, you're making me angry and you're making me feel guilty. I know. I understand. But I love you too much to just let this slide. Talking about Peter, James, John and Andrew. And so I thought about this the other day and here's what I realized. So please hear this. Please hear this. Some of you are feeling guilty. Right now, here's what you're thinking. And maybe I'm going to put it into words. And like, yeah, that, 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 Now that you're saying it, that's what I'm thinking. Here, here it is. Jeff, I'm going to add you to the growing list of people who seem to be asking more and more of me. Your boss at work is asking for just a little extra for the team, need just a few more hours. We're at a crucial point, it'll really help. Uh, Okay. And then your little child's playing little league and so over at the rec league, they want you to not just come watch the games, they want you to get there a little early and take up some money. Oh, okay. And then your older child, now they're different, and the booster club over there wants you to come, not just to watch their game, but could you come early and during the game before your child work concessions? Okay. And in the Homeowners Association, all they need is average. Average. Now, summer's going to be where it gets busy. But the average of the year is only one and a half, two hours a week. That's all we need. And the Fine Arts Center needs a little bit more from you. And the hunting club, somebody's got to get down there and straighten things out and get the road prepared and the lodge ready, get the schedule. And the Alumni Association, you know, we got that big re- uh, reunion. Somebody's got to send out all the flyers and make the arrangements. All we need is just four or five hours a week, and here comes Jeff. And he's hitting us with this need to make impact for Christ. So to that, here's all I'll say. Please don't do anything because I guilted you into it. Don't. But know this. This is not my message. This is your Lord. You're going to stand before one day. Your Lord, your Savior, your Creator who's saying, I want your whole life. I want you to spend it learning of me and I want you to go where I say go and do what I say do. Are you in? Can I just kind of do right like that? You're not in. Hey, I love you though. Can I just kind of, is this? You're not in. Thank you for the love. Keep reading. So if that's your case, please don't feel guilty on my part. Here's all I'm going to ask. Since it's your Lord, ask this question. Of all these things, what matters most in 100 years? Fast forward, 21, 19. You say, I'm dead and gone. Exactly. 100 years from now. Jeff, are you against all these things? Secret, let me let you in on something. God can actually use those other things. You can do those things as a representative of him if you're willing to open your mouth and use that platform. So I'm not saying don't do those things. All I'm saying is, how do they filter into the main thing? Is my Lord saying help with the home? We have a homeowner's association. They do a great job. I'm glad I don't have to help with it. I love that I don't have to help with it. They don't need me. They got much better people. And I don't have time for it. Let's close in verse chapter 28. Flip over there if you would. Chapter 28. <clears throat> Here's where we'll close. And you knew where we were going there. So is this only for these four guys? So Matthew shuts down his book, his gospel. This is after Jesus has died on the cross and resurrected. Verse number 18, here we go. And Jesus, so this is up in Galilee, so he dies in Jerusalem. He tells his disciples where to meet him back up in Galilee. And Jesus came and said to them, this is so important. All authority in heaven That's huge. And on earth has been given to me. Jesus tells the 11 and more. All authority. I say what goes on in heaven. All authority on earth. I say what goes on. Who is this? This is a man. One of us. He's always been the son of God. He's always been the Christ. He's always been that. But now he's a man. The lamb of God. He became a man. And because he successfully completed the plan of God, God gave over to Christ, to Jesus All the authority What Jesus says goes in heaven Right now What Jesus says goes on earth Based on that He tells these 11 guys Verse 19 Go therefore Make disciples of all nations Imperative command Do it Remember I have your whole life Remember you learn of me Remember you go everywhere And do everything I say Go therefore Make disciples of all nations Baptizing them In the name of the Father And of the Son And the Holy Spirit Great Two for two We're done No Their work is not done Verse 20 Teaching them, not just teaching them, not just putting it in their head so that they can recite it back and yes, I know what the Bible says. No, teaching them to observe. That means to do all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Please hear me, here, here it is. Jeff, does this apply to us? Absolutely, because what's done back in chapter number four comes to fruition in chapter 28. He tells this group of guys, go make converts and disciples and baptize them and then teach them all of my commands. And if you're teaching them all of my commands, then you don't leave off the last command. You say, what's the last command? To go tell more people and teach them all the things that Christ says, the last of which is go tell more people and win them to Christ, and get them to go public, and teach them in the ways of Christ, and teach them the last command, so that they go to, that's the only reason I got saved back in 1979, because somebody kept it going. The 5% kept it going. Are you in the 5% or are you in the 95%? You say, well, what if I don't? Don't I still go to heaven? You do. If you put your faith in Christ. Here's your last note no Christian needs to wait on an individual call I'm waiting for the Lord kind of like he did with those boys to come into my bedroom one night make it clear that I'm supposed to be a fisher of men no Christian needs to wait on an individual call from the Lord because we already have a commission we already have it it's already been given it's not just there to them it is to us as well it's been passed down and it's to us as well we have it in print so what if I don't? Very simple. If you refuse to do this, you are living in disobedience to your Lord and you're being extremely cruel to the people who live around you who do not know how to go to heaven. You're sitting on the truth. You know it. because If you've been a Christian, if you've ever put your faith and trust in Christ, if I were to ask you, why do you think you're going to heaven? You should tell me, I'm trusting Christ and Him only. Then why wouldn't you share that information with somebody else? But it makes me so scared. Me too. It scares me every week to get up here. Scares me every week. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Very simple closing today. I told you this is a state the obvious message, not theological, and that's okay. So I'm going to ask you, just like I asked myself this week, very simple questions, and I want to invite you to really evaluate really focus bring bring the Lord into view and even ask him Lord even with things going on around me help me to not miss it while my heart is in tune with your word Lord let me evaluate these questions number one be honest with yourself have you surrendered your life your whole life fully to Christ I realize he's not physically on earth and you can't follow him physically But what the Lord, and it's not because Jeff is a good person and Jeff's blown it a lot, but what the Lord did with me at age 12. Have you ever had a time? You say, well, I've I've got saved. Praise the Lord. Have you ever heard a time where you heard that is personal to you? God, I'm giving you my whole life. I am surrendering my life fully to you. If you've never done that, hey, hear Christ. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. if you say I have done that my next question very simple are you learning of him are you learning of him and learning from him literally I know this sounds so simple Jeff give us more no this is it this is the fundamentals they never change but they change us can you honestly say I've been learning from my Lord just like those guys for three years I've been learning from my Lord daily in his word and I'm learning to pray to him and him to talk back to me He is a real person. I have a growing relationship. I have surrendered to the Lord. I am learning of Him. And then number three, can you honestly say, I am willing to follow Him, wherever He says go. Standing here today, guys, I can tell you, if God says go somewhere else, wherever. If He tells me to go to Africa or Antarctica, I'll go. I hate the cold. I like our Four Seasons. Are you willing to go and do what he says? Please don't let pride be in you and say, well, there's those things there around the church that need done. Most of those are a little beneath me. You're not ready. Pride is holding you back. Say, honestly, there's not a job here. God, I'll not do it. David, the great man in the Old Testament said, if I could be a doorkeeper, I'd love it. I'd love to be like a bird up in the, in the balcony of the, of the temple of God. Wow, they get to stay there all the time. God, I'll do whatever. How are you being used to bring people to Christ? Father, Lord, those guys made a lot of mistakes. They had a lot of blind spots. They sure were willing. God, I pray that this congregation Can sing from our hearts and right now commit with our life and mean it we're going to make a lot of mistakes but Lord we're willing we'll go where you say go we'll do what you say do you have my life I'm going to spend it learning of you and when your spirit your very spirit tells me to go and do I will go and do no questions asked nothing too small for me I'll do it God make us that kind of a church Let us be more than worshipers, more than givers, more than hearers. Father, I pray that we would be soul winners, fishers of men. Let grace view just grow, multiply, reproduce. Not just in the character of the Holy Spirit, but in the converts that he wants to have here in Anderson. Make us a soul winning church that loves you and grows in holiness. Let us be balanced. Father, thank you for letting my voice last. In Christ's name, would you stand? exit. We want them all gone today and don't just let them go here. Pray, God, let me be re- busy, relentless, courageous, skilled, giving these things out. Invite folks. Somebody might come to Christ next week. Somebody you don't even know or somebody you know. So hey, go be the church every day this week. Re-surrender. Re-surrender.